Welcome to Replay Value, the podcast that deep dives into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. In this episode, episode 122, the season one finale of Replay Value podcast, we're going to talk about the comedy, drama, romance classic, Robert Zemeckis' Forrest Gump. of this film in 1981 Forrest Gump recounts his life story to strangers who sit next to him on a bench at a bus stop in Savannah Georgia the story recalls key events spanning several decades in Forrest's life a slow-witted but kind-hearted man who witnesses unknowingly and influences several defining historical events in the U.S. during the 20th century got to start off by saying that this was an adaptation from the 1986 novel by Winston Groom. So while not an original idea, uh, it did end up taking some liberties and differences from the book itself. Well, Eric, they brought Eric Roth on to write the screenplay. He had wrote, um, well, he would go on to write Munich, Ali, and most recently Star is Born. So he's certainly wrote some screenplays of, of notable films. Uh, but some of the big differences... Uh, in the film versus the novel is Gump's demeanor. His character is completely different. Uh, in, in in the novel, he's more of a savant. Uh, for example, I believe he receives a perfect score in physics, which you just can't imagine Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump doing. Uh, and in the novel, he is an astronaut, a professional wrestler, and a chess player. So kind of a a diversion from what he accomplishes in the film. They went that route, yeah, with the more of the, like you said, the savant type. And I'm not sure, I haven't read the book itself, but you, you think about the character and, and even the way that they, they steered the movie. Robert Zemeckis kind of steered the movie along. It was, uh, in the book, I believe I read that it was more about the things that he experienced in his life and the love, the love story aspect was kind of secondary. But in the film, they kind of flip-flopped that. So you think about his demeanor, and he's just mm-hmm. he's just kind of a, a very pure... The purest person, really. If When I thought of that, that's the one word I thought of, is just the purity of the character. Yeah, I mean, and Zemeckis has gone on record saying that you know he cares about three things. Jenny, his mom, and God. And and you, you think about... You, so he has to have some heart and emotion to it, and I felt like, from what I'd read in the, about the book, is that he was more of a, I guess, kind of a cold less warm of a character than, than Tom Hanks portrayed. And I think maybe they alternate some things to tie it in with the historical events and venues. And really it's quite remarkable how many historical events or historical people that are referenced in the film or that Forrest Gump has a direct tie relation to, uh, not only his accomplish, you know, he's a, versus the book, you know, in this, he's an all American NCAA football player, medal of honor winner in Vietnam with the U S army, uh, he's the ping pong champion. I don't think it's of the world, but it's in a uh, certainly with uh, playing with the U.S. Army. Uh, he's a shrimp boat captain. He is a millionaire stockholder with Apple, and then you know, of course, his infamous three-year run across the United States. So, accomplished a lot just on his own. But then the historical references too, and I'm sure you found that quite interesting. The fact that through those accomplishments, he met three U.S. presidents: JFK, Nixon, and Lyndon Johnson. 
uh, taught Elvis Presley how to shake his hips. <laughs> his ancestor was uh, a, a, a founding member with the KKK. Probably not the brightest moment of that family tree. <laughs> you know? He crosses paths with the Black Panther Party when he reunites with Jenny in San Francisco. You know, you got the whole hippie movement. Uh, through his accomplishments, he's a guest on a talk show and meets John Lennon. And then through his infamous three-year run, he's got the, you know, the how they tie in like the the shit happens slogan and the smiley face. As much as I love this movie, I think some of that maybe went a little overboard when you go back and and, and watch it again. It's just like okay, okay. I mean, they really on, wear man. the point out. I mean, there's a point they really where do. they there's just a montage, and I think they probably could have cut the smiley face thing. The shit when I get the smiley face, you know, it's definitely. A little bit of, uh, you know, suspension of disbelief there with him just leaving that impression on the shirt. I mean, it's a it's a gag moment. It's funny, but the movie really didn't need it. We got the the message at that point. Uh, but, you know, obviously when he picks up the book outside of um, University of Alabama with George Wallace speaking, kind of cool how they also reference Lieutenant Dan's family with every single American war, and they show you a quick clip of, like... <laughs> I love that scene, just, like, dying on the battlefield. It's yeah. great, yeah. Yeah, Gary Sinise just kind of dying in different uh, time periods. Um, you know, and, and I mentioned the reuni- reuniting with Jenny, and I don't want to get too far ahead of our best scenes, but you have the peace rally at Lincoln Memorial. Somehow Forrest ends up on stage and uh, has that moment where he's prompted to speak. Uh, just they literally, like you said, they jump at every opportunity to tie this in. Uh, to history, uh, even, you know, the Watergate scandal. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's literally just a laundry list of historical uh, references and, 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 and different people throughout the 20th century that, that Forrest Gump comes across. And it's not just like, oh, it's, it's a cool reference. It's that Forrest's almost nonchalant participation in it. It's just, you know, with the Watergate thing, especially that, that one comes to mind or picking up the book. It's just even when he talks about meeting the president, he's like, you know, I met the president again in the white house again you know it's just like he it's just it's just his life but it's just the nonchalant way again that that he goes about doing that so um and we have to mention the the historical figures that he meets three presidents and you know when they shot this film you know the the movie itself takes place in the you know, mainly in the fifties and sixties. Well, fifties to eighties, yeah, I'd say the fifties. Those are those are the, the the most beloved decades of American twentieth centuries, the fifties and the eighties. Yeah. Well, I'm saying that the historical figures that he does meet, um, you know, the way that they incorporated like the special effects and the CGI to make Tom Hanks like, you know, superimpose him on those classic reels to make it look like he mm-hmm. was there. And you know, for mid nineties technology. It was pretty good. I mean, it you, it doesn't hold up great. I would say some of the lip syncing is kind of off with like especially with like JFK Nixon. and Nixon. N- Nixon yeah. is off big time. Yeah, I mean, but it's still cool to see that. And I remember at the time they're like, "Oh, well, you we want you. How do they do that?" Yeah. Uh, so I, I really, it wasn't an overplayed use of CGI, but it was it was it was kind of a cool cool way they did it. Well, this was post Jurassic Park, post Terminator 2, uh, two films we covered earlier in the season. Uh, so special effects, like you had said, it's certainly improved in Hollywood, but it's still audiences hadn't really been worn out by it yet. So we were still fascinated with it and the way they used it in this movie uh, was very clever. It doesn't age as well, but also a lot of the film that they use as stock footage, is supposed to look dated. So it kind of excuses it, maybe not looking so great, uh, when, when viewing it now. And ILM who did the visual effects for this film did win the Oscar. So they were recognized for their work, but all this was done under the guise of Robert Zemeckis, who was already an accomplished filmmaker at this point. You know, he did back to the future, another movie we covered earlier in the season, uh, before this, 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, Romancing the Stone, Death Becomes Her. So he'd had some big hits before uh, this film came out. Uh, but he originally wasn't the first choice to direct. Terry Gillum and Barry Sonnefeld both turned down the shot to direct this movie before Zemeckis came on board. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but it was kind of interesting when I that a lot of people, actors and producers, directors, you know, people that made it, people that were in it, passed up this film because they didn't think it was going to be successful. I, I think you, it was probably looked at as a risky property. I think anytime you do you know, a character, a story like this, it certainly has a certain set of challenges that you have to overcome. Uh, but, you know, Robert Zemeckis uh, answered the call and rose to the occasion. This is his highest grossing film, so you could, and it's, it's only one to win Best Picture, so you could certainly argue his most successful film, one of his the defining films of his career right there with Back to the Future. Um, and he would go on to do Castaway, Flight. But, you know, Warner Brothers gave up the rights to produce this in 1988, and this may be why a lot of directors shied away from it like you were talking about. The main reason being they gave up the rights to it in exchange for executive decision <laughs> is, um, mm. yeah, they felt like after the release of Rain Man, the, the potential of the property had really faded. It has to be mentioned that, you know, a lot of people didn't necessarily have faith in it. A couple of people that did, of course, was Zemeckis himself and Tom Hanks, both of which... Um, they declined to take a front-end salary in exchange for getting a percentage of the points of the movie on the back end, um, and they ended up both netting about forty million dollars out of that out of that deal. Another person that was kind of going to get a take of the movie, uh, kind of famously and a little bit of a controversy, Winston Groom himself, the author, he was paid three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the rights for the film plus three percent of its of its ticket sales or it's grossing, you know, of, of the profits, but due to some uh, tricky Hollywood accounting, despite being successful, the studio said Paramount said that they didn't make any money off of the film. And so he didn't get paid anything uh, off of that 3% had a whole lawsuit and yada, 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 but uh, they ended up working it out. But it's kind of crazy that you see two sides of it, that Zemeckis and Hanks get 40 million. And then the author himself, doesn't mm-hmm. get anything, and it has to give, you know go through the uh, suing and stuff like that. Well, it, I think they ended up resolving it with them buying the rights to the sequel that he wrote with the success of this film, and then they just shelved it and never made it. But he ended up getting a seven-figure payday for, for the rights yeah, to the Yeah, I'm saying eventually, so. but I mean, how long did that stretch on, you know? Yeah, so, it took, it took a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, uh, got to talk about the soundtrack of the film. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, just it was an incredible soundtrack, a two-disc collection. I remember having it when I was younger. I didn't. Li- I mean, the score is awesome. It's got a great theme by Alan Silvestri. Uh, Alan Silvestri. He done Roger Rabbit and uh, Back to the Future, uh, so he'd kind of been a go-to for Robert Zemeckis as a composer in his films. And he would go on to do the Avengers uh, theme and 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 do the Avengers series, Ready Player One, uh, and even did the Predator series back in the day. So an accomplished composer. Oh yeah, no, no of course I love Silvestri's work, and it, I mean, it, but when I when you know, when I was younger, when this movie came out. I didn't necessarily have the appreciation for film scores that I do now, so I listen to it for the pop songs because you got a slew of hits from like CCR, Leonard Skinner, Hendrix, the Doobie Brothers, Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Seger. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thirty-two the list songs goes on and on. that really captured the American zeitgeist and what the culture was of the time that the movie covers during Forrest Gump's life. I mean, really, the most representative songs between the fifties and eighties. Of, of American culture. 
filming on the movie lasted four months. They shot mostly in Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, and a little bit in Los Angeles, mostly the college scenes at USC. Uh, but filming was from August 1993, wrapped in December 1993. And the film was released in Los Angeles June 23, 1994, and nationwide release date July 6, 1994. This was a summer blockbuster. In fact, if you remember, this is back when studios did national sneak previews, and they did a sneak preview for Forrest Gump July 4th, so they knew that they knew they had a monster hit. Of course. I mean, you know, Tom Hanks in the role, Robert Zemeckis. I mean, it's a, it's an American epic in a sense as far as the – the highlights that it hits through through history. So I, I'm just so surprised that early on, a lot of people didn't have faith in the film. I had a lot of hype. It did have a lot of hype. Uh, I'm saying prior to sure. it being um, made, not necessarily prior immediately before it hit the theater. So I, mm-hmm. no surprise. that oh, it you was, just mean in pre-production when they were exactly. trying to get a property made. Yeah. yeah. Uh, made on a budget of $55 million. Opening weekend was $24 million. The U.S. gross was $330.2 million. And a worldwide gross, it played in theaters for almost a year. That just doesn't happen anymore. $667.9 million. And it, and it was the number two box office movie of the year. And if you were to translate that to uh, today's dollars, that's a $52.8 million opening weekend, and then a domestic take of $709.8 million. So, uh, of, of course, you know, it goes without saying that it was a, a bona fide hit. A little bit of that domestic money comes from a re-release. I think it was in 2004, uh, to celebrate the 10-year anniversary, it had a small run in the IMAX. Can you imagine seeing Forrest Gump in IMAX? Wow, yeah, that actually would be kind of cool, though. Not necessarily the typical IMAX movie that you would see. Experience. Yeah, but yeah. It, it would be cool, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm surprised they didn't do a 3D conversion after oh, Avatar God. like they did with a lot of huge movies. You know, and it, the film is rated PG-13. I have to touch on this. Very, really pushes the border of what a PG-13. I just feel like with the adult themes, the I mean, these are a lot. Of, I mean, the message and themes are very powerful and positive, but they're still very mature in content and nature. And I mean, it's, it's really, it, to me, it's toeing the line of PG-13. It is, and we can kind of personally attest to that. I mean, you know, growing up, you and I always had an, an appreciation for, for, for great films. And, you know, we were in our teens when this came out. And I remember that uh, our mom <laughs> would not let us watch the movie. Um, well, she did. She We actually bought it on VHS. The, the head, the, it was so long, it had the, the two VHSs in one set mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And then once she figured out that, uh, you know, there's the scene with Jenny playing the guitar and the, kind of some of the lewd... Uh, scenes in the in, in the movie and the adult theme she's like nope you're returning that so yeah uh, we we didn't watch the movie for that don't but. yeah don't even give it a started on the fact that we were over 13 and still having pg-13 movies screened for us to watch or not anyways uh <laughs> but uh, award wise it made a splash too so this is one of those rare films that was just a champion at the box office and at the oscars and with you know uh, award groups and, and critics alike won six Oscars and had another seven nominations for a total of 13 Oscars. That is a lot of nominations for one ceremony for one movie to have. I would say that it's not necessarily undeserving of the Best Picture Oscar, one of the ones that it did win, but there's a little bit of um, a little bit of controversy as far as the movies that it beat out. 
Um, if you can think of the one I'm thinking of, a lot of people were upset that it beat Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. That's right. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, you really can't go wrong with either film. I mean, I hope we cover Shawshank on on this podcast at some point, but it's so tough to pick between the two. But, um, if I had to choose, I don't know if I would pick Forrest Gump as the best picture winner over Shawshank. So, I mean, ugh. And also Pulp Fiction was Pulp in contention Fiction, that yeah. year, which is another I mean, film we covered earlier this season. So uh, it, it's I'm, a lot of the vote was split between those films that year. Uh, but it won Best Picture, as we mentioned, Best Director, Best Actor, and that was Tom Hanks two-peating the Best Actor race. Hadn't been done since Spencer Tracy in the late 30s. Uh, best Screenplay, Best Editing, and the Best Visual Effects, as we mentioned earlier with ILM. So this nearly did the major award sweep, which I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, where a film wins Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Screenplay, the the main five. It was just shy of not winning the Best Actress Oscar. Uh, the last film to accomplish this was Silence of the Lambs, uh, and another previous film to do was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So nearly swept all the major awards uh, uh, at the Oscars that year. It also won three Golden Globes, Best Drama, Best Director, Best Actor, and had another 35 awards and 60-plus nominations. I mean, <laughs> anybody and everybody nominated this movie for something. A critical darling, well, I should say an awards darling, but really, uh, critics-wise, I think it's sitting at like a 77 or a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is kind of surprising when I saw that. I figured it would be rated a lot higher. It may not have universal acclaim, but... When this film came out, the reception was mostly positive. All the uh, major film critics gave it uh, rave reviews, including none other than the Zen master himself, Roger Ebert, scored it four out of four stars, both thumbs up, quoting, it's a magical movie. It's kind of crazy when we were preparing for this podcast, um, you know, of course, sat down to watch the movie again, and I, I got I got kind of a late start on it. It's like two, you know, it's like two hours and 20-something minutes. And I started about 11 o'clock and I was like, well, you know, I'll just, I've seen it a bunch. I'll watch the first hour until I get sleepy uh, or, you know, and just turn it off and watch it, watch it the next day. And I sat down and I watched the whole thing from beginning to end, just engrossed in a movie that I'd seen several times. It just, it has that high of replay value for me personally. Yeah, the only time they they really take their foot off the gas is when he realizes he doesn't have to take a bus to get to Jenny's place, and then he just runs there. And by then, you want to see where it's going, So you, and there's not much left, so you just finish it. This film, we talk about the awards, the critics, but and it really comes down to the audience. This was beloved by audiences worldwide. It's one of those movies that just speaks to the masses, like the classic films of Cecil Bill DeMille, or even most recently James Cameron, you know, those event films like Titanic um, or, or Avatar, T- Forrest Gump is is in that stratosphere. I mean, this was an event film. Everybody saw it. Now, looking at some other movies that came out that year, we already talked about the Oscar competition. We've covered a number of other 1994 films, so no, no need to rehash those titles. Uh, TV shows of the year, Friends, Seinfeld, and Simpsons, and a couple of songs from that year, which we've no doubt mentioned because we've covered other films from 94. Uh, R&B Heyday in the mid-90s. Uh, oh, I yeah. Swear by All for One and I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. Let's jump into the casting uh, of the film. Uh, a lot of a lot of big actors in it as far as, you know, we mentioned Tom Hanks. Um, Got to kick things off by saying right away that this role, and, you know, like many big roles, didn't, you know, Tom Hanks was not the first choice. 
Uh, this was actually offered to John Travolta first, if you can believe that. Oh, yeah. It was, well, not only John Travolta, uh, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, all three turned down the role of Forrest Gump. Uh, from what I read that, you know, it was straight up offered to Travolta. He turned it down. Tom Hanks read the script and an hour and a half into reading the script, he 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 accepted to, to, to sign on for the film. Well, on the condition that the film was historically accurate. I actually didn't know that. Keep in mind, he was coming off the Oscar win for Philadelphia, as we mentioned before. Tom Hanks' career, this was kind of coming off the transition uh, where he really became a different actor. Uh, if you look at his career arc, it, it really started to change when he did A League of Their Own. That was the first character where it was like he played a real-life person. Oh, I love he, that movie it, so much. So He's so great. Uh, but it heightened his awareness as an actor and the responsibility he has to tell the truth in stories. Really has transitioned into doing more historical work. You can tell that's been important to the choices he's made, and it was the main reason he did Forrest Gump. It had to be historically accurate. Mm, yeah. Uh, Bubba Gump, uh, I was in- interesting to, to, to read this, that it was offered and turned down by David Allen Greer, Ice Cube, and Dave Chappelle, of all people. Yeah. And Dave Chappelle actually went on record to say that, of course, he regrets not taking the part. But at the time, he turned it down because he did not think the movie would be successful. Yet another person that kind of shied away from it during the pre-production because they didn't see uh, they didn't see the value of the work. Well, and even when you look at the actresses, uh, Jodie Foster, Nicole Kidman, and Demi Moore turned down the role of Jenny. I think part of it is that. The, these these actors actors and actresses i mean you there's no telling how many scripts they see and maybe some of them did have some some fatigue like oh it's another rain man script and i hate to put it in those terms because the the two films are vastly different from each other but you just you never know how how many scripts these these big big a-listers are getting and they probably didn't have the time to go through with it. So it's just like, oh, if I would have only taken more time. But it was just one of those where I think a lot of big names had the opportunity to take a look at this before uh, declining it. Yeah. yeah, you could see when they were casting and they were really prepared to be flexible with whoever they casted. In fact, Winston Groom, the author of the novel, considered John Goodman to be the perfect actor to play Forrest Gump. I heard that. That is that is awesome. And you know, John Goodman is a great actor and and. To be fair, I think that he, I think he would have done gr- a, a fantastic job in that in this role. I, lo- I love him in the Babe. Yeah, oh, I know. I, I remember growing up, we used to watch that movie. That and Ferris Bueller was on repeat about fifteen times every single day. The Babe is definitely a replay value favorite. Now, looking at Robin Wright as Jenny Curran, she had done The Princess Bride to this point, and I just remember watching that movie and thinking she's the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen. Uh, just a a star right from the moment uh, that she came on the scene in Hollywood. And she would, of course, go on to do, most notably, House of Cards and Wonder Woman. But, uh, again, you could say, right there with Robert Zemeckis, Forrest Gump being the defining film for his career right there with Back to the Future, uh, Robin Wright Pence had an illustrious and decorated career, but the role of Jenny is her defining role. It was this uh, one little little nugget that I noticed upon rewatching it is that you know, of course, Princess Bride um, plays Princess Buttercup. Love that movie, another replay value favorite. Uh, but of course, uh, Carrie Elwes's character um, uh, Wesley uh, is you know her love interest, and in Forrest Gump. Her boyfriend at the time, whenever they're in 
the Washington DC and they go to the black Panther party, um, is, uh, it, her boyfriend at that time is also named Wesley, but it's like a complete antithesis of the one from princess bride. He's an asshole and he hits her. But the fact that both of them were named Wesley, I just thought that was, I don't know if that was planned. I couldn't find anything on that. Just, just kind of highly coincidental. You have two Wesley's. Boris Jr., played by Haley Joe Osment. Uh, this was, I think, his first movie role. He was discovered uh, in a Pizza Hut commercial and then uh, brought in to do this film. And, of course, that would launch him into The Sixth Sense. And then he's had a you know, Hollywood career. He's kind of gone more comedic side lately with like the Entourage movie and whatnot. Uh, and then one great, great little Easter egg is Elvis in the film was voiced by none other than Kurt Russell. He was uncredited for the role, but the fact that he was in it, I thought was hilarious. Yeah, and another unaccredited actress we have to mention was Mary Ellen Trainer. She played Jenny's babysitter. She brings young Forrest by or Forrest Junior by real quick when Forrest is there. If you remember, she's the anchor from Die Hard. She plays the psychologist in the Lead the Weapon series. Oh she's yeah, the mom in Monster Squad. Monster Squad, uh, yeah, she, yeah. She's in Ghostbusters two, Back to the Future two, and Little Giants, man. So she, you got to mention her just because she's been in so many awesome replay movies. Yeah, so a lot of cool people in small roles, but getting back to the main cast, you got Gary Sinise as Lieutenant Dan Taylor. Now, this is one of three movies that uh, Hanks and Sinise have went on to co-star together. All three were nominated for Best Picture. Of course, I'm talking about Apollo 13, The Green Mile, and Forrest Gump. And when you look at Gary Sinise's career up to Forrest Gump, he had had a few, you know, he's kind of a, you know, Bit actor, had some bit parts. Uh, he had did The Stand, Stephen King's The Stand, the TV miniseries, right before Forrest Gump, and that really kind of got him on the radar. Mm, yeah, he's uh, he's so so great as Lieutenant Dan. I mean, I, it, when we get to the recastings, I had a lot of difficulty with that role. So, And I, and there's so many roles we've covered throughout the, the our, our podcast uh, episodes that but he would probably be in top five as far as difficulty to recast. So he's, yeah, he's for great. sure. Yeah. And, uh, he would go on to win the Emmy for playing George Wallace in the George Wallace TV movie. Holy which, shit. Coincidentally yeah, enough, George Wallace is very briefly referenced in this film. Oh, wow. I did not know that. That's, that's fucking awesome. Wow. Now quickly, uh, Sally Field as Mrs. Gump, Forrest's mother, she was already a two-time Oscar winner in the 80s. Uh, she won for Norma Ray and Places in the Heart. And this is what's interesting about this casting is that she's only 10 years older than Tom Hanks and played his love interest in the 1988 film Punchline. Creepy. A little creepy. Uh, yeah. Probably yeah. could have gone the rest of my life without knowing that. But, I mean, that's common in Hollywood. You'll have, you know... Uh, actors who play another actor's dad and they're like three mm -hmm. years, you know, age difference. You know, that, that happens all the time. So I really think it speaks to Sally Fields range. I mean, she would go on to be nominated for Lincoln where the age gap between her and day Lewis was considerable. And Steven Spielberg didn't even want her for the part. Uh, so she really had a lobby hard to get that. So it's it just a tribute to her range as an actress. She would go on. She's done a lot of television work. She won an Emmys for ER and brothers and sisters, so decorated actress, and when you look at the cast of this film, they've really just a, a, an all-star lineup here. Now, a lot of her dialogue in this movie, what I find interesting, is a lot of just life slogans. And we'll get to, like, favorite lines later, but a lot of what she says is just very uh, philosophical, and, and, and you can see is the, the biggest impact on, on Forrest's life throughout. And actually, let's just go straight into our best uh, scenes and lines of the film. Uh, I mean... 
in a movie where it is a lot of historical moments from American history, a lot of great scenes in the film, of course, too. So uh, I feel like we're going to have a lot of honorable mentions and runners uh, runner up. So let's get right into it. Warren, what were some of yours? Best scenes, man. You could literally just list the, the DVD chapters uh, off of this movie. I mean, so many great scenes. I'm really going to try to. We're going to. I know narrow, we're going to miss some. So let's just. Here. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to miss. We're not going to be able to cover all the great scenes. Just not going to happen. So I got to mention the ones that spoke to me. I really love the. I guess what I'm going to call it the Dr Pepper scene where he's at the White House and he. It's just a real qu- quick moment. Yeah. Where he, he, you could the moment where or the scene where Forrest Gump discovers his love of Dr. Pepper. Now, the really good thing about meeting the President of the United States is the food. They put you in this little room with just about anything you'd want to eat or drink. And since, number one, I wasn't hungry but thirsty, and number two, they was free, I must have drank me about 15 Dr. Peppers. Just a, a great little moment I love. Um, the drill sergeant exchange. God, what's your sole purpose in this army? To do whatever you tell me, drill sergeant. God damn it, Gump. You're a goddamn genius. That's the most outstanding answer I've ever heard. You must have a goddamn IQ of 160. You are goddamn gifted, Private Gump. It really just shows you, and it's brilliantly uh, written, how someone like Forrest could succeed in the army. Yeah. And so I really enjoy that. Um, And even, again, with the Army, you know, he goes looking for Bubba, and he ends up saving everybody. That's a a really great scene, and leads to one of my favorite uh, little lines where he's like, If I'd have known this was going to be the last time me and Bubba was going to talk, I'd have thought of something better to say. Hey, Bubba. But my third place scene is when he's at the Lincoln Memorial, and it's just a quick little magical moment of uh, a lot of heart. He's reunited with Jenny in front mm, of the crowd. Yeah. That is just so awesome. It's a powerful moment, you, yeah. You feel it in your bones, man. It's so great. Jenny! moment of my life second place my runner-up and it's kind of a duel uh, because i feel like they're really similar uh, is when he meets jenny boarding a bus for mm. the first time going to his first day of school yeah and then when he meets bubba on a bus in his first day in the army yeah how they play uh, off each other yeah that's that's really great yeah very parallel scenes i mean it's intentional though they can't sit here and yeah another whole seat's taken and he just kind of yeah fatefully paired with that person uh, and ends up, you know, Jenny and Bubba are the handful of people that are the most important people in his life. Right. Uh, so he meets his best friend and then the, the love of his life uh, in the very similar settings. So I really enjoy uh, those moments. But my winner, and it's the miracle in the movie, it's when he's getting chased by the bullies. You know, he, he, he's standing there with Jenny and, and they throw the rock. Run, Forrest, run! 
And then he just takes off, and they're chasing him on the bikes, and then, like, you know, the, it kind of slows down the frame rate, and the music kind of starts to swell a little louder, and it looks like he's going to get caught, and then all of a sudden, the braces start to fall off, and then what I really love is when he looks up and he realizes they fell off and he can run, and then he just takes off, and he runs all through town, and... Um, not only is it a moving scene, it's really what movies are all about, uh, but it's, it's you know, it provides some inspiration, which, uh, uh, you know, I, again, I, I really love that moment in the movie. I mean, it's a, it does get you in the feels, and it's an, it's an awesome, awesome moment. Uh, interesting little nugget, that scene in the movie with the leg braces was not in the novel. That was added just for the, for, for the movie itself, um, and, and as well as the... Um, that we talked about it earlier, the when Forrest runs across America, another the, another famous mm-hmm. scene that wasn't in the novel, but the the, the fact that that the, well that scene, well you know why the running scene is actually based on a true story. It's inspired by an actual event. Uh, mm. A guy a guy by the name of Louis Michael Figueroa, age sixteen, ran from New Jersey to San Francisco for the American Cancer Society, and one of his famous lines when he was getting interviewed by the, you know the newspapers or the, the news reporters was, quote, when I get tired, I sleep. When I get hungry, I eat. And when I have to go to the bathroom, I go, unquote. So that, they even kind of use yeah. the line in the movie, yeah. Um, so it, funny you mentioned that scene. I don't know if you remember hearing what he said. It was three years, two months, 14 days, and 16 hours, which is 1,171 days of running. <laughs> yeah, I, that's 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 nuts. Um so I love your your first choice though to get back to favorite scenes uh, the the leg braces popping off I mean just such a such a really cool moment that kind of combines really great visual uh, scene with the great music that goes in behind it love that um, I'll get to mine you mentioned several of them as you uh, went through all of your honorable mentions but um, the the Vietnam rescue when he goes back in and eventually is awarded the Medal of Honor for his bravery because he's looking for Bubba uh, you didn't mention this one. But it, um, my, my runner up is, uh, whenever he sees Lieutenant Dan when he, when he's on the shrimp boat and he just, <laughs> <laughs> and he just jumps off the water. <laughs> because, I mean, the way that shot, even when he says to him, remember, he's like, well, I thought I'd trap my sea legs. He's like, well, you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. It's great. And just, I mean, he looks like as he jumps out the boat, he looks like he's trying to run on air. I mean, it just, he's so excited. Um, and then it crashes, and he's like, "That's my boat." <laughs> I love that. That's and great. then, um, I mean, it's kind of obviously a comedic moment. But then, uh, on the flip side, and and yeah, I don't know why, but man, this I do know why. But it gets me in the feels every time. Um, it's near the end um, when he goes, when you kind of get caught up in the present in '81, and uh, he goes to Jenny's apartment, and her son gets dropped, Forrest Junior gets dropped off, and he finds out that um, that it's his son, and he he's you know he's not a smart man, as it says in the film. Um, he gestures like if he's like him, you know, because he knows he's smart enough to know he's not smart, and he wants to know if, if his son's like that too. And and the way that that is acted by Tom Hanks is just it's so brilliant, incredible. But. Is, is he smart? He's very smart. He's one of the smartest in his class. 
because it's so it's such a behind the eyes man you can just see it and it's really a great insight into that character because I really love that you mentioned this and shame on me for not it's probably his best acting moment in the movie because he shows you the awareness that you aren't quite sure Forrest has you know he's like well I'm not a smart man I know what love is he says that earlier to Jenny but there's an emotional awareness he displays as well like he's there's he gets emotional, he's, but it's a happy emotion uh, of uh, of teary eyedness where he's glad that his son will have a life that he couldn't. One of the things, whether you're a mom or dad, one of the things you want of your parent uh, of your children is for them to be okay, for them to be you know whatever normal is, but them to have the opportunities that everyone else does in life, and you want what's best for them, and so even even Forrest recognizes that and wants that for his child. I, I just, it's a, it's a, just a beautiful scene. Um, so talking about our favorite lines of the film, uh, I'm going to quickly fire off mine because there's so many. I, I again, can't get to them all. Uh, honorable mention. Uh, we used to always make fun of this, uh, but um, yeah, there's several moments in the film where Forrest will be narrating and then right after that, it'll say a line he just said. And one of my favorites is... So he'd tell us to get down. Shut up. Get down. Shut up. So we did. A lot of that voiceover stuff in the Army, like even when he's talking about like, well, you know, Cleveland was from Detroit and Tex. I don't remember where yeah. Tex was from. <laughs> um, uh, second one is probably one I've used the most in my in my life, in you know, real life. Uh, my, my runner-up is... Uh, Lieutenant Dane. I got you some ice cream. Lieutenant Diane, ice cream. <laughs> He's like waving it at him. Waving it, and he just, <laughs> and he just throws it in the toilet. My, my winner, though, and I laugh my ass off every time I watch it, and you mentioned it earlier, is whenever he first gets to basic training and, he, and the drill sergeant's in his face, he's like, you know, why are you here, Gump? And he's like, to do whatever you tell me to, Drill Sergeant. God damn it, that's the best answer I've ever heard. You're a goddamn genius, Gump. <laughs> what do you got, yeah. IQ 160? I mean, that is, I, I just, I laugh my ass off every yeah. time. I love like, it. Even when, remember, he's like, when he assembles the weapon in record time, he's like, God damn it, that's a company record. You are going to be a general someday. <laughs> now, quickly, re- disassemble your weapon. Like, it's, oh, yeah. Again, those are, uh, Great, and again, it shows why he's so successful in the army. I mean, you watch him putting the gun together, man. He's like a, he's like a freaking replicant and sitting there yeah. <laughs> taking it apart. Yeah. Um. What, what were some of yours? Okay. Uh, honorable mention, real quick. I'll mention uh, the line from the trailer. They sent me to Vietnam. This is whole other country. Really funny. Um, how he introduces himself. It's like the opposite of James Bond. Bond, James Bond. He just says Forrest, Forrest Gump. Of course, you got to mention, uh, I love this, where Jenny's like, you ever been with a girl for us? And he's like, sit next to them in my home economics class all the time. <laughs> I love that line. But get into some of the, the, the pillar quotes of the movie, because it is very quotable. These are some of the ones that are repeated multiple times. I'm going to mention real quick. You know, he mentions, uh, you know, peas and carrots a lot. Uh, when he's talking about him and Bubba or him and Jenny, mostly him and Jenny. He says this multiple times as well. Uh, stupid is as stupid does. Mama always says, says that stupid a lot. is as stupid does. That's right. And, and a lot of them are Mama says, which I really enjoy. Like, Mama always had a way of explaining things so I could understand them. Yeah. Like, he says that a lot. My runner-up is also a, a an extension of that. My mama always said, 
life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And he says it, but when I find it the most is when she, moving uh, with that line is when Sally Field actually says it to him on her deathbed. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. And it really kind of brings the film full circle, which a lot of writers will do, which I think, you know, we talked about another film we did earlier this season, Jurassic Park. A lot of those lines are repeated multiple times. And I think writers do that to kind of bring things full circle. Um, I mean, it's a big theme of the movie. That that quote is kind of, you know, a theme of the movie. It's even kind of can be represented with the opening scene with the the symbolism of the, the feather. You know, it's just like, the feather is going to go where it take you know, go where it goes, and you just kind of have to be ready and you know take for whatever life puts in your path. And in a way, it's like a box of chocolate. You know, the feather doesn't. You never know what you're going to get. And another multiple one that's it's it's really just a quick honorable mention. I forgot is that's all I have to say about that. He says that a lot too uh, when he and it's more when he's talking about Vietnam. He doesn't really want to talk about it anymore. Uh, he says that a couple times. Um, but my my winner. It kind of correlates with yours in a sense that it's one of the lines that really shows the awareness and humanity of Forrest Gump, that there's more under the surface that we're not quite seeing. He's more than just this kind-hearted, simple-witted guy. You know, there, there's a, the emotional complexity to him uh, and intelligence that, 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 that's simmering underneath there. And, and, and it's where he's talking to Jenny, and it's when they're watching television that night, and he asks her to marry him. And then he says, I'm not a smart man. But I know what love is. Because she's the love of his life, and he knows what he wants, and he's putting himself out there, and he feels like she doesn't love him because he's different. His mom told him, hey, you're not different. You're the same as everybody else. But he feels different in that moment, and it just has a vulnerability to it that you don't quite see a Forrest Gump because most of the time he's just unknowingly or unwittingly doing things. They don't always show that he's aware, and it's one of the few moments where you see the awareness of Forrest Gump. And afterwards, he even goes out on the porch by himself and, you know, shuts the door behind him and ha- he turns his back to Jenny, um, which I think was kind of very intentional of the way that they, they shot that. And there's even a great little moment when Robin uh, Wright is standing there on the stairs and she sees him go outside and she kind of registers it like, hey, he's processing this like he's more present than I thought. So there is a little moment there in her acting where she's as just as surprised as we are. So, again, a very uh, deep moment there. All right, let's talk about recasting the film with today's stars. A very challenging movie with which um, to, to take on this, uh, this, 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 this portion. We'll run through the principal actors and so strong supporting cast very quickly. Uh, let's start with Bubba, then we'll do Mrs. Gump, Lieutenant Dan, Jenny, and then Forrest. So starting things off, who did you have as your Bubba? My Bubba had a couple... Uh contenders uh i thought about john david washington michael b jordan but i ended up going with anthony mackie anthony mackie as as bubba okay i mean mckelty williamson is so great i mean it was a few years before i realized that was the same actor as who played from uh, heat yeah al pacino's um kind of his not his his partner psych whatever you want to say um so his right hand man right hand man there you go um so I mean, he is just great in it. And of course, the the protruding uh, lower jaw and lip uh, definitely helps kind of make the character look different. But it, the voice is different. I mean, he's he's a really underrated actor. I feel like even in um, Fences here, uh, most recently, he was brilliant in. You went with Anthony Mackie. Wow. Okay. Um, 
man, with the, with Falcon from you went you took an Avenger as Bubba. Okay, all right, all right. Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I actually just had uh, no runner runner ups. So I just uh, had the winner, and I've used him a lot before. So I'm, I may just I hate to say it, you may have already be able to guess, but I went with Jordan Peele um, as my Bubba. You know, I mean, he's acted, but he's not really an actor's actor per se. Uh, I really feel like this is this is requires a uh, certain amount of character work. Um, uh, okay, I mean, you need a you need you need a polished actor to step into these shoes. I feel I, I, he could do it. I think he has a lot of depth that a lot of people haven't seen uh, from from Jordan Peele. All right, Mrs. Gump. I had a runner up of. Uh, I thought of her first, and then I found someone better. But my initial thought was Jennifer Connelly as Mrs. Mm. Gump. Uh, I think she's That's great. Yeah. But I ended up switching gears a little bit. I went with Holly Hunter. Huh. Okay. Maybe like 10 years ago. I don't know about now. Uh, yeah. Maybe, she, yeah. she, um, y- you're right. Uh, but I feel like, you know, she has, she can play a lot younger. She could play 20 years younger. She could play, you know, um, the, the all of the ages that you would be required of Mrs. Gump, they would have to age her up, of course, towards the end sure. of the film. But there's some flexibility there because it does cover a wide range. As an actress, yeah, she she I think you know has has the flexibility to 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 do the 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 younger years as well as uh, as well as the current or the older years too. Who'd you have? Okay, well for Mrs. Gump, I had a couple nominees here. I was. Um, I thought of some younger actresses like Anne Hathaway and Rachel McAdams, and then I kind of mm-hmm. thought it really requires a little more gravitas for this role, given that Sally Field was a two-time Oscar winner at the time she was cast. You know, she's really a titan of the screen already. So I, I narrowed it down to the trifecta. Hillary Swank really thought about Julia Roberts, but I ended up going with Sandra Bullock. You know what, man? That's, dude, that's wild. I I almost said Sandra Bullock, but I felt like she was... I don't know. I feel like she was too big. She's too much of a leading actress to take on this role. And that's why I kind of struggled with that. But I really thought, really thought that she, even though, even the blonde side, she's very good at the motherly character. She is, but she's, but she's the lead. She is a leading actress. I don't know if she's at the point where she would, I mean, this is not, I mean, Sally Field could do, I mean, Sally Field's great, but I mean, she was kind of at a point in her career where, you know, she wasn't necessarily, the lead didn't have to be the lead actress. Sandra Bullock is the fucking lead in everything she does. Um, so, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> Lieutenant Dan. And I feel like if we don't match up on this one, I'm going to be very disappointed in you because I struggle with it. But as soon as I thought of this person, no one else. And I know you're thinking of, and I, he's the perennial supporting man of the time. Sam, Rock, uh, Sam Rockwell. I, I, Sam Rockwell. Yeah. yeah, I wanted I wanted to go with Sam Rockwell. I really did, and I almost did. Who'd you he's have? My runner up, man. I went with Casey Affleck. Ah, that's really good. No, that's 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 really really good. But Sam Rockwell is perfect for it. I just I believe I've already casted him, so I, and it was recent, so I just kind of strayed away from it. He is the perennial supporting man. You could plug him into this easy, and he'd be great. Did you have Sam Rockwell? No, I absolutely had Sam Rockwell. That's the only damn person it, I, I had. Almost, damn. Yeah. I almost matched up. Well, uh, you know the old expression. Did we just become best friends? Nope. I mean, it's low-hanging fruit, but it's like the only fruit. I mean, he is, he could be a fucking awesome Lieutenant Dan. All right. Jenny, who did you have? Well, I had a couple finalists here. Thought of Emma Stone, Haley Steinfeld. I really love her. Probably a little too, too young. young for this, yeah. though. Yeah, I went with uh, Julia Gardner, who plays Ruth in Ozark. 
okay, I, I know who you're talking about. And again, I don't know. She she almost plays still a little too young. I just you cannot see her in like the mid thirties or the you know the, I guess early thirty the 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 whole all of the ages of Jenny. That's that would be my difficulty seeing that there. Well, even like her character in Ruth, though she comes from a damaged uh, oh no I, I, childhood, and it, she her type plays into that. And I, and I feel like she looks younger, but she also has a, a wisdom to her where she can play older as well. I so don't it's think a great so. combination. I don't think she can play the older the the um, the weathered worldly traveler of experience that. Jenny Curran has in Forrest Gump. I, as great as an actress that she is, I don't see her doing. Mm. I, I could see the earlier part of Jenny's life, but I can't see the the, the the near the end. You know where she comes back to Forrest. It's that, that's difficult. I don't think she just doesn't look old enough. I, I, I hate to say it, but yeah, I'm gonna agree to disagree. I think she could do it. All right, so I had a runner up. I had um, uh, Marina Baccarin. Who is okay. you know who that is? Of course, from Deadpool, she was in uh, Firefly. You know, she's been in several several yep. things. Um, but I ended up going with, and you, you you may just you know fly across the country and and come punch me. But once I thought of it, I was like, man, I th- she has the depth, and I feel like she 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 could do it. Uh, none other than Captain Marvel herself, Brie Larson. Yeah, yeah, she could do it, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, she'd be pretty good in it. She she's a, almost a little too all American, uh, head of the cheerleading squad type. I mean, she's just so beautiful and and has it all. Uh, but um, I think she's got the depth. And when you look at her performance in Room uh, and Short Term Twelve, I believe is another film she did uh, in Indy. Uh, she can play the, uh, the the damaged characters as well. All right, finally, Forrest Gump, the title character. Uh, let's go ahead and start with who with you. Who did you have? My runner-up was Miles Teller. Okay, I like that. He's great, but, a great young actor. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I went with Adam Driver. <gasps> oh, dude, dude, are you kidding me? I also had Adam Driver. Also had him. What? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, I did. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> I, I thought that that was the wildest pick. And that you, 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 I thought you were going to just berate me for picking him, but I just, the more and more I thought about it, I was just like, yes, he could do this. Yeah, absolutely. He's perfect for it. And he's right about the right age. That's about the age Hanks was and his demeanor. And he's got the depth and the talent. Uh, I've heard a lot of people in the industry rave about his uh, potential and his ability. So I think he'd be great. Uh, my runner up I did have, I should say, was Eddie Redmayne. I thought about him too. Want to quickly mention a brief, very brief fan theory. It's not really a fan theory so much as like, let's think about the logic behind the movie. And it's a very popular one out there. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a Debbie Downer. But the fan theory is that Forrest Jr. is not Forrest Gump's son. They really don't definitively say it. Of course, they only had sex the one time. Jenny lived a very promiscuous life. And it was more so she was kind of getting near the end, realized the error of her ways, wanted her son to have a good life. So she reached out to Forrest to reconnect because she didn't really know who the father was. It could have been him, but more than likely it was someone else. Mm, That's interesting. I don't want to believe that. You don't want to believe it. That's the thing. It's too much of a downer. You don't want to believe that. Yeah. But 
reality says that that is a distinct possibility. Yeah. But you almost feel like where Jenny was as a character that she wouldn't do that because she it seemed like she had found a, a piece and she was making an effort to do uh, to right the wrong she had done. So it would really be kind of she knew she her time was coming to an end. Yeah, I don't so th- I don't think she would have done it intentionally yeah, I don't if think she, she would have done that. If she would have it's I think that she didn't know definitively who it was. I think that if makes she would have, she would have done it out of love for her son and making sure that he had a good upbringing. That's that, right. That, that but just, the great thing, and it just speaks more to the character of Forrest, is that he never even questions it. He goes on like like it is, and with no questions asked. Yeah, I, I and I even love the moment when he says goodbye to him, and he says, "Well, I'll be here when you get back." And it's just like such a truthful parent moment. Like it, it I just believed uh, that relationship so much at the end. And we'll wrap up the episode discussing the legacy and lore of Forrest Gump. Film had a significant impact on culture, both in and outside of the entertainment industry. Uh, even the bench that Forrest Gump sat in at the bus stop is now being held in the Savannah History Museum. Savannah reveres this movie and identifies it as part of its history of its town, as does our country. Uh, Forrest Gump in 2011 was selected by the Library of Congress for Preservation and the National Film Registry as, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And, uh, of course, the biggest influence I would say that it has is the uh, the creation of the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company in 1996, two years after the film came out. I remember when it came out, it was almost like kind of a throwaway reference, like, oh, well, they opened a restaurant. That won't last. You know, it'll just kind of f- fade out, you know. No, no, it's still around, you know, 20 plus years later. Uh, it has uh, 45 locations around the world. Um, so it's uh, so it shows no signs of slowing down. So it's just kind of kind of crazy that from a film, a fake restaurant would have birthed a successful chain of, uh, of, of, of food establishments. Yeah, it's quite brilliant, though, because you have that built-in brand recognition, particularly with the hat in the movie and the logo and it being quite similar to the restaurant. At least it was for a while. I think they modernized it here more recently. There's one just a couple miles from my house. But um, and Just also um, kind of a funny thing about the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Um, you may have stumbled across this, but uh, Chris Pratt, when he was discovered, he was discovered actually working in a Bubba Gump in Hawaii. That is where he got uh, fa- uh, where, he, where he got he got discovered. Another interesting thing I came across is Weird Al Yankovic parodied the film in quote lump unquote a little uh, short he did that was a devotion to the uh, to, to the film. I remember that. Yeah, Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, that's a, he. I mean, it's high praise anytime yes. he uh, parodies you. Yeah. And we talk about the uh, impact on culture. One of the big things, and, and we mentioned it earlier, is how quotable the film is. Kind of with Dumb and Dumber, part of its legacy is the quotes and how we say them in everyday life at certain moments or opportune times or circumstances. Um, I mean, it, it got to a point after the film came out, its dialogue was being quoted to the point of cliche. I mean, I can remember quoting the movie numerous times and still do when, 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 the, uh, when the moment presents itself. Yeah, like the Lieutenant Dan ice cream, life is like a box of chocolate, stupid is as stupid as. I mean, you can just, there's several that you can just fire off that are part of pop culture even you know 25 years later um and then i would say that uh, you know as far as there's really no forrest gump uh multiverse if you whatever you want to call it that every movie has these days however uh, we mentioned briefly earlier that a sequel almost did get made called gump and company uh in fact a novel was written uh the author got uh, signed a seven-figure deal to make it 
but I got stuck in development hell. Never really went anywhere, but it was kind of picked up immediately after the 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 first movie ended, where it's almost kind of breaks the fourth wall, where you mm-hmm. know Forrest Gump is famous. Uh, he ends up meeting Tom Hanks. <laughs> Actually, the sequel novel, which came out in 1995, a year after the movie came out, was about how the movie came out and it affected the real Forrest Gump and how it was not accurate to his life. Um, and he really didn't like the press attention it brought along. And then over the course of the novel, he does meet Tom Hanks, as you mentioned. But it, you can kind of see why it didn't work and why they didn't really pick up the story. Um, it kind of seems almost like a cop-out by the writer to go that way. It's almost like he didn't know how to continue in the world that he made because the movie kind of... There's no need to continue it. I mean, it's just like, you know, he got paid for it, but a big part of the reason it never got made is because Tom Hanks didn't want to do it. He felt it would have tarnished the reputation of the first one. And, you know, I'd say... Great idea. Don't do it. Uh, you know, just... Well, Hanks has since changed his tune on sequels, we must say. He's done a number of them in other franchises and has even said he is open now to a Forrest Gump sequel potentially, and it has been stuck in production hell or pre-production hell since 2010. Really no progress has been made. I really hope that they don't. They just don't need to. No, absolutely not. No, they really don't. Also worth mentioning is inspired by his character, Gary Sinise co-founded a rock and roll cover band called the Lieutenant Dan Band. They mostly play (laughs) USO tours around the world from the United States, military. uh, But uh, it is an attraction, and I've seen posters around L.A. where they'll play gigs and people go see them. So it's pretty cool. That's, That's freaking awesome. And to sum it up best, Dwayne Berg of The Hollywood Reporter wrote, quote, contrasting forces unassuming innocence with the upheavals and Rancor of the Times, the film is a wisely goofy commentary on the stupidity of smartness, unquote. That is going to do it for this episode and for the first season of the Replay Value Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you love what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. We greatly appreciate it. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll be back for Season 2 on April 2nd with Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Until then, bye! Bye.